Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to me. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Suck it to me, suck it to me, suck it to me, suck it to me. Hello, my friends. Welcome to this latest of the ESSR feature shows here on the Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet podcast platform. I am not Aretha Franklin. I am your host this week. I am Stephen Wilson. And on this latest feature show here from us, we are going to be in the on the fifth anniversary of this particular pay-per-view, look back a very nostalgic pay-per-view, which is quite fitting in the current times. Yes, we're going to look at NXT Takeover. Respect. Thus, my poor rendition of that classic <laughs> song at the beginning of this show. <laughs> so, just before me and my panel go through that show, just a bit of housekeeping from us here. You can find us on all forms of social media: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Suplex Retweet. You can also find us on any good podcast platform. If you search for Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, you can find all our back catalogue of feature shows, plus our brand new main news show, ESSR Central, where we go through all the latest goings on in professional wrestling, as well as other great shows such as Saturday Draft Live, East Meets West, and the maybe soon-to-be-returning show, Albergographs. Could not remember the name. It's been that dang long since that show's been on. <laughs> uh, and you can also find us on YouTube, where we've got a lot of great content on there, including Quiz Showdown and The Conspiracy Theory, hosted mm. by some absolute asshole. <laughs> on to the show. So we're talking about the great times of NXT. And when people think about the great times of NXT, they think of the four horsewomen. And we have our version of the four, four horsewomen here today. I am, of course, the man, because I am the man. Next. As, a, as someone who is so self-entitled, so much so that he takes so many different breaks from the podcast to get mm. plastic surgery on parts <laughs> of his body, such as his face and potentially his breasts. I don't know why I've not seen them. It is, of Ooh. course, the goat David Campbell. Listen, Stephen, I need to go and take a, a, take a small break uh, from, this, from this show uh, to go and get a penis extension. No, I'm kidding. It was lovely. It's, uh, it's always good to be in a feature show. I was a big fan of your intro, Stephen. I'm happy to talk about this brilliant pay-per-view today. Yes, and up next, uh, she's never had a successful title defence, much like Sasha Banks. Sasha Banks. <laughs> However, I've never heard one person compare her to Ratchet. It's Sarah Grief. Right, I'm going to have to correct you, Stephen, because um, when we did the NXT quiz, I successfully defended my, my title when I was in my second brain. Get your facts straight. 
Oh, right, fair enough. It's took you so many attempts, you know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you've had about 20 attempts. Oh, Sasha's an attempt. Sasha's an attempt number six, you know, give her a couple more scores and she might get there eventually. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know. And round the, round the offer panel, there ain't no stopping them now because he is the best friend of the wacky, waving, flammable, arm-waving tube men and that was just when he worked at Enterprise Rent-A-Car. It's Alan McLucas. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, I worked for a lot of tubes at Enterprise, I really did. Especially that quack of <laughs> I know It's not like he has an important role Dealing with the audio of this podcast Where he can dictate everything that we all say on this show Sorry, I know what he says <laughs> His mum's making me dinner this weekend Don't worry about it, it's all good And don't forget to send him your best yeast uh, In the mail, he'll appreciate that I'm not a provider <laughs> The best part about it was Somebody did send him yeast, but enough about that <laughs> <laughs> Sorry everybody, I interrupt this recording with a message for Alan McLucas, you dirty, manky, wacky, lanky bastard. Back to the show. <laughs> we're going to talk about, we're, we're going to look back, fight. it is the fifth anniversary of NXT TakeOver Respect. It's quite a fitting pay-per-view to go back and look, and look on for a couple of reasons. One, that the NXT champion at that particular time is the NXT champion today. And also, the two females who were in the main event could also be set to feud for the first time in five years, even though it should have happened again about two years ago. But (laughs) enough about that. We're going to go into the pay-per-view, but first, we're going to talk about two of the things quickly that leads into the pay-per-view, David. And of course, this was the first ever... This pay-per-view, we saw the first ever crowning of the Dustin Rhodes Tag Team Classic Champions. And it was a shame that it's... It's, a, it's crazy to think that it's been over five years now that we've lost the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. Yeah, and it's obviously a sad way to start off, but it's something that, you know, NXT has celebrated. And we look at wrestling today, it's very much a landscape divided by WWE fans and AEW fans. But this is Dusty Rhodes transcends that rivalry. He is a man that will always be honoured by WWE and NXT particular for how he helped to grow the seed of that brand from its early inception all the way up to where it was by the time we got um, to this takeover. He is one of those guys who will go down in history, not only for being an absolutely excellent performer, but for taking the next generation of talent and helping them in their journeys. And you can see that from the emotional response that many of the talents had to his death and to his legacy since his departure from us, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, uh, Alan, many people class this era of NXT as the prime, the peak of the performance center recruits and you think about it m- many of them credit their success to the dream oh yeah absolutely i mean you look at the card there's not a single poor performer on it there really is it's just solid all the way right through except for you know maybe Matt and sasha i'm not the biggest fan of sasha are you not awesome. no i'm not i know breaking news but <laughs> you know overall it's an absolute class people you absolutely solid all the way through um, yeah, it's definitely one, not just one of the best NXT pay-per-views ever, it's possibly one of the best ones WWE's ever done, period. Yeah, I mean, Sarah, I look back on this first uh, Dusty Classic bracket, we had 16 teams in it. See if you look back at some of the teams in it, it's just amazing seeing how how much the wrestling has came since this, wow. looking at the people who have been in it. I mean, yeah, like, I've got the brackets in front of me and I'm sitting there going, like, like 
Whoever thought the team of Angelo Dawkins and Sawyer Fulton would um, be like put together as a team? But it's like you're sitting looking at it, and like half the folk, like some of them aren't even actually with NXT anymore, um, or they're actually like teamed up with other people. I mean, you had Tucker Knight, and this is like before Otis came on the scene, and when Elias still had his last name. Tucker still had his last name here as well. Yeah. I know. It's, that was the team that stood out to me when I looked back in this. I was like, my god, Eli- I forgot Elias had a surname until I looked back in this. I know. <laughs> this is a, it's interesting how uh, Murphy is, is Murphy here. He then gained a first name since this, but he's lost that um, in the intervening time. He's went through a journey since the start of this tournament. Or, uh, <laughs> the Monday Night Messiah, you know, he does things to you. You know, <laughs> takes your surname and does not give you it back. <laughs> uh, there was one Solomon Crow also in this tournament. These uh, can any of you point out who Solomon Crow is these days? Oh, he's a Mr. Sammy Callahan in TNA. Yes, he is. Yeah, I, I, I am aware of Sammy Callahan, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I have to say on that. I know who he is. <laughs> He spits I like to watch him from a distance. Yeah, I like to watch him from a distance. <laughs> <laughs> not the, he's not the best up close. Not the best up close at all. <laughs> if you're in that thing, then you know, fair, fair enough. But if you're not, and myself, distance is better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, Sarah, the other big thing coming into this pay-per-view was we were off the back of what many people still today class as the best NXT singles match of all time at Brooklyn between Bailey and Sasha Banks. And at this pay-per-view, we got not just the rematch between the two, but as we'll go into later on, the first ever women's main event. Historic, as you'd like to say, on the TakeOver card. It was such a historic thing. I mean, it's one of the things that we all look back on as being one of the like the sort of marquee moments in the women's revolution. I mean... Not taking anything away from like women main eventing like shows and everything before like um, Trish and Lita, mm. but this was like a this was a pay per view, and this was sort of the pure kickstart. I mean, you you had um, the inventor of women's wrestling, Stephanie McMahon, in the audience as well as Becky and Charlotte front row. Lita as well, and Let's Lita, yeah. Lita. Let's not forget about Lita. Even though when I was <laughs> no. watching it, I seen the freedom going. Who's the one on the left? Oh, it's Lita. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, it's, 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 it's crazy. Uh, Alan, you're not a Sasha Banks fan, as you've told us. You know, you'll later on probably tell us you're not a fan of tag wrestling as well. But, uh, <laughs> 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 but, uh, like, do you want the last me? I'm sick of You've just made the last. <laughs> Alan, you got to admit, um, it was a. They had a lot to. It's both, uh, Sasha and Bailey had a lot to live up to going into this pay per view from that. Night in Brooklyn. Oh, definitely. I mean, I can't imagine what the pressure must have been like to be the first you know, woman to headline a pay per view. And, you know, they didn't fail. They, they over delivered it. It was just, it's a crack match. It's one of the best women's matches I've ever seen, period. And it's also one of the best wrestling matches I've actually ever seen. Um, you know, there is a lot of debauchery in there from Sasha. Nothing, nothing, you know, we're not used to. But still, it was an absolute class match. Mm-hmm. And, the storytelling it is absolutely phenomenal, but one thing I've all got props to, to Sasha on. Sasha has nailed the heel gimmick in this. She is the perfect heel the whole way through. Fantastic, all from start to finish. Yeah, definitely. We'll talk about that as it, when we get into it later on in the show. But David also 
you know, in terms of a build, I think WWE kind of nailed, or NXT in particular, nailed the build between these two. Such, so much that the the build that they've got just now just does not feel the same. Yeah, and it's 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 a time, you know, it's capturing lightning in a bottle. You know what I mean? Because by this point, Banks had moved up to the main roster, um, and it's the whole story of it's sort of Bailey getting left behind and stuff like that as well. You know what I mean? And you really felt the hatred between the two of them back then, you know? And you felt like these two were the sort of icons of their generation in NXT. Um, and as you say we will recapture it now, I think we don't know where the story's going to go. I don't want to judge it too quickly. But you're certainly right in that this felt like the big match. There was no question of what match was going to main event this pay-per-view. And it cemented... Sasha Banks and Bailey is two people that we're going. We wanted to keep an eye on. We wanted to get behind for years after it, and that's not just the match itself. Like you said, that is partly to do with the way it was built and the memory we have of the excitement leading up to it. Yes, definitely. But that's enough about the build-up. Let's get into the show. Amazing thinking that this was the last uh, NXT takeover to take place in the Performance Center pre. The COVID era, the COVID-19 pandemic era, of course, but it's probably going to be the last takeover show we will probably see in front of a crowd in that particular uh, venue. Obviously, when crowds return, probably NXT will start going back to the other venues and they won't do takeovers in the performance center anymore. But, Alan, we had this, the, the match, the card kicked off with uh, one of the semi-finals in the Dusty Tag Team Classic. It was a man who's now NXT champion once again in Finn Balor, teaming up with a commentator and Samoa Joe to take on two guys who seem to be holding gold in a different promotion these days. They were known as the mechanics back then, but it was Dash Wilder and Scott Dawson, the revival. Now, Alan, this was probably, I know myself, this was the first time I really got to see the revival before we started seeing them come out on their own across NXT in the years to come. Yeah, I mean, I was never a fan of revival. Um, in the main roster and I don't know if it's because it's the way they were booked or they just didn't like and they couldn't be bothered but this showed the glimpses of what they were doing in AEW they, it was a brilliant match it had you in the edge of your seat it was really entertaining it had, you know, the, see the sneaky work that the revival do all the way through you know Finn's holding the knee and he's Joe's at the corner begging for the tag the next thing is Finn jumps to get the tag there's Dash, or sorry, no Dash. Um, I've told, his name's totally been in my head now. Dawson. <laughs> Dawson. Oh, where's Dash, wasn't it? Uh, where's Dash pulling Joe's slides out at the bottom? And he just missed him. It was the timing, the teamwork. It was just absolutely sensational. It's just a very clever work match. Um, the, the storytelling is brilliant in it as well. And to be honest, this is the, the first time I watched this as well. And I totally forgot that Finn and uh, Joel were involved in this tournament and it's just oh, it's just brilliant superb yeah it's crazy to think about it the way they kind of worked this first tournament where you had all these pretty much had the single guys going in there uh, David one thing I found quite interesting obviously in hindsight looking back it's amazing when you look back at it the amount of comparisons with the revival at this point they kept making with the Brain Busters and now we look in 2020 mm. that are now managed by one of the Brain Busters himself and Talia Blanchard. And it's one of those things that's sort of, uh, it's been a compliment and has plagued them throughout their entire career because you're right, in NXT, 
they were the brain busters that's what everyone compared them to you know what I mean like you had Scott Dawson who is the Arn Anderson sort of of the group and I've always thought when I saw Dawson wrestle that that's a guy who could legitimately beat you to like you a pulp you once described Scott Dawson as the one wrestler on the WWE roster that you would love to go for a pint with. I just, I, I, there's something about Scott Dawson. I just, I believe him when he's in the middle of that ring. You know what I mean? He's like the working man, fish and chips wrestler. You know, I'm really a big fan of him. And like you said, the comparison between uh, between Tully and then Dash Wilder, who's a bit, I mean, it's a bit more sprightly, a bit younger. You know, a bit more of the sort of, you know, the technician, bit flashier of the group. But it's interesting that you bring that up because that was one of the reasons that they realised they weren't going to make it in WWE in the long term. Um, Vince McMahon said, I heard they were like uh, Arn and Tully um, and they're not Arn and Tully, they're just an or two good wrestlers or uh, something of that along those lines. So it's interesting the story um, of this comparison to the Brain Busters and the revival and how that changed and affected them throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sarah, I mean, I watched this back and we've Many people who really who don't really watch NXT who have seen Samoa Joe well have not got to s- truly appreciate Samoa Joe, I think, because he's had so much stop-starts injuries since he came to the main roster. But back then, he was still... He just joined NXT. We were, he was still pulling out all his arsenal. And he was hitting the muscle buster. I missed a muscle buster as a finisher. <laughs> it's, it's so good. Yeah, no, I, I think, like, people who didn't, who didn't actually watch NXT during this time and, like, if anyone listening is actually like part of that demographic, I suggest you go back and watch some, oh, some more Joe's matches because, yeah, it, he was riddled with injuries and bad luck as soon as he came to Raw and SmackDown. Um, and as we can see now that he, he's doing commentary, and let's, let's face it, he's doing well on commentary, but I miss him in the ring, especially like do it, like seeing the muscle buster. Like, you haven't you hadn't really seen that since like obviously the unfortunate injury of Tyson Kidd, but even then, like that was just that was one time, and like if the muscle bust is done correctly, then it's it's fine, it's completely fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it may it may incapacitate you, it may kill you. Um, but apart from that, I missed it. I apart <laughs> from that, it's a fantastic move. What have the Romans ever done for us? Eh? <laughs> <laughs> but, one thing, uh, one thing Alan brought up, which I thought was great. I mean, it's old school, but it was brilliant. See the way they work Finn Balor's knee, and mm. the way Finn Balor works that knee injury throughout the match. It's just like you don't really see that too much anymore. Usually, sometimes they do that. And then the best example is of uh, is it SummerSlam? I mean, I love Asuka. We'll talk about Asuka later on, but mm. she has that match at SummerSlam against Bailey at first, and she gets battered at the end of the match, and then she comes out for the match with Sasha, and she just walks out normally. It's like Bailey, yeah. Asuka, Asuka, I know you're so badass. He's still going to beat up. But Finn sells that the injury like he's been run over by a car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, well, it, it's, it's something you don't actually tend to see. It's people either forgetting what leg that's supposed to be injured. Cough, cough, Natalia. Um, <laughs> or they're just, it's like, the, it's just like magically heals. Like, oh, there's the magic sponge from the physio. And then you're, it's like, you're suddenly all better. Like, no, that, that shit worked yeah. when I was six years old. It's not going to work when I'm in my 30s. And that was good. It was good to see. I, I like. I love like target a body part style of match because it does add to the drama later on, especially if they need it for the finish, which is the case here with the coup de gras. But I liked how it was Joe that they 
they targeted and were beaten down for the start of it because we don't usually see Samoa Joe in that sort of way. Not seeing him as a baby face in peril. You know, I mean, that's not, not something he did throughout the entirety of his career. So I was very exciting to sort of see that and see it work well because he's such a big guy you'd expect it to be Balor. They got beaten down for the most part, you know. Yeah, I mean, Balor seems to only really he gets that he gets that knee block, but he doesn't really get too much battering, and they kind of they kind of put them away towards the end in quite decisive fashion with the muscle buster coup de gras combo. It's quite a nice it's a nice sexual finishing combination they kind of have, but you kind of look at Samoa Joe at the end of the match, and he's kind of like, ah, oh, great, you've done that, and then he's also at the same time going. Ah, oh, bugger, why are you doing that? We've got another match to come. You could do something else, you know. <laughs> you're, the, you're, you're the champ, you're very athletic. You could do some sort of, you could do various moves in your variety, but no, you do the one thing that injures your dang guy leg again. God's <laughs> sake. No wonder he turns on him like two months later. See, I, would do this <laughs> I misremembered this because when they were getting the trophy and I was like, oh, Oh, this is a bit of a spoil for later on. I was like, I'm sure this was the night Joe turned on Finn. <laughs> but it doesn't seem like the right time to do it. <laughs> you know? I was waiting for that as well, actually. I'm like, you really do it doing this. I, no, not the night I do it. I'm all right, okay. It's quite a blase goes through, finishes it, that's it, done, done, done. But no, the two of them, Finn and Samoa Joe, they advance to the finals of the Dusty Roads Tag Team Classic where they'll take on the winners of the next match that we're going to go into it's the team of Chad Gable and Jason Jordan yes remember Jason Jordan you know mm. he has a very famous dad apparently uh, the team <laughs> of American Alpha back in their early days taking on the man beast Rhino and a man the only man who has a worse hairline than Ryan Galhar. it was Barry Corbin of course <laughs> <laughs> and the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic Tournament uh, David yes it's amazing to see um, Barry Corbin with hair again <laughs> It isn't, you forget, you know what, I'll say this, Baron Corbin, I put myself in the line here, the most consistent performer in WWE, he's performing just as good here as he does in the modern day, he is not the flashiest moveset in the planet, even though the deep six is an insane signature manoeuvre. It's such a great finish, it's such a a fantastic move, and I like the end of days as well, but he's so consistent, and he's so good any time he gets in the ring, and he's a proper proper bastard heel and the only thing I'll say about his tag team with Rhino is there's quite a disconnect because I think Rhino still thinks he's a baby face uh, which is weird even though he's getting relentlessly <laughs> booed and Rhino's just like yeah he's holding the arms up I'm like Rhino mate god bless you um, but I Baron Corbin at big big love and you'll never you'll never get the love that he deserves when he's in ring work I don't think uh-huh. uh, quickly talking about Baron Corbin, Sarah. Do you remember when Baron Corbin first came into NXT? I do, I do. Um, how, how, good I, did, how good did his debut? How good did he come in? Like he came in like a house on fire. He was made to look extremely strong. I mean, he was getting these squash matches that was literally deep six hit the end of days and you were done. Uh, but that's the way that if they want to bring over like this big, big monster of a person, that's like they want to build up as like the next big like heel of the company I mean that's the way to do it because like he he did he looked genuinely threatening and that's it was it was amazing I loved I loved uh, Baron Corbin in NXT I remember when he debuted his debut match he took on CJ Parker and who's obviously Juice Robinson now in New Japan and he was still he was really flashy at this point in time he was coming in and they just had this guy in the ring Corbin and he comes in he just he had some of this uh, the end of days and you'd never seen the end of days at that point in time. You think, mm. mm-hmm. oh my god, this guy could be a presence. This guy could be great. And then obviously he's developed it the way he became now. But 
Alan, on the flip side, we've got the other team of Chad Gable, Jason Jordan, the American who've become American Alpha. You forget, it's another great example, how much the crowd loved Chad Gable in 2015. <laughs> and it's turned in shorty G now. Swines. <laughs> yeah, they, they really did. I mean, I love when he came out with his John Cena at the SV Tower. You know, these wee, these wee logo, these wee sayings, it was good. Um, you know, American Alpha, they actually are very charismatic. And it's kind of the same when, you know, Jason Jordan went up to the main roster. I think it was a Roman Reigns syndrome, you just get forced in your throat at the point that nobody could be bothered to him. But yeah, the two of them, they are very charismatic and they are a very good tag team. I mean, it was a lot of crack match as well. Mm-hmm. I know, uh, David, the way they kind of, American Alpha, they kind of dictated this match, they dictated the pace of it. I mean, obviously we had Corbin, who you obviously say is consistent, he does the job, he does that. But Rhino was a sh- he was he wasn't the same guy he was ten years ago, so they kind of helped work the match, and it makes you think when they brought American Alpha up to SmackDown, you know, they completely dropped the ball with them as a tag team because they could have built that division around them for a good couple of years at least. No, you're right, and obviously we're comparing um, uh, Dawson and Wilder um, to Anderson and uh, Tully Blanchard. You can easily compare these guys to the world's greatest tag team. They were that technically mm-hmm. proficient and athletic that you could have, like you said, Stephen, they should have went on a run as a tag team. Um, and the thing about, talk about Chad Gable, Chad Gable is wonderful and he demonstrates that that strength in this match. And I think Graves goes off his nut when he executes, like it's the, the huge suplex he, he manages to hit. Like this one. Yeah, but Jason Jordan's such a good hot tag as well. See those, I love the moves that he does, those spears into the corner. Like they're so, so good. They look like this, they, they really hurt. Looks so realistic, and like I say, it's the pace of American Alpha, like you say, Stephen. You're right, I am a huge Rhino fan. I actually loved Rhino's work in TNA, but you're completely right. He's not up to the same level that he once was here. Is this match and how good this match is is down to American Alpha and how technically proficient and athletic both of those men are. Yeah, they kind of say that they do a good job. Um, Gable, especially, they kind of work the arm of Rhino, they kind of target that one. Tennis. Not to the same extent we saw in the first match, but they kind of they try to pick the weaknesses of the big man and then try to you know, exploit it for the technical efficiency and, you know, general grounds of what the American Alpha were good at, at the, back in the day. Oh, I was such a huge fan of American Alpha. Like, you always got excited for, like, the matches that they would do as well. Like, even just the storytelling that they had when, how they just, like, got started. With, like, Jason Jordan, like, going through numerous tag partners and Chad's just, like, take a chance on me. I am actually decent. <laughs> um... And like that's what that's what got like the nice nice push because they were very much the same in terms of style of wrestling. Like they both came from amateur backgrounds as well, um, so they were like a perfect fit. And you cannot find more over the top baby faces at that time than those two. Um, and it was such a shame that like they got split up when. It came to moving to Raw and SmackDown and, you know, like Alan said, trying to get Jason Jordan pushed down your throat a little bit and with the whole My Daddy's Kurt Angle. Um, and I'm like, I'm going to talk about the monstrosity of what's happened to my precious Chad Gable because he <laughs> deserves so much better. Chad, Ch- Chad Gable should have been the Kurt Angle son, 100%. Yeah. He would make more sense. He what? had the whole Kurt Angle gimmick going around in NXT. Was, he went to the Olympics. Come on. Exactly. I, I mean, I've actually seen a look back on um, Jason Jordan's tag team partners before he, <laughs> he found Chad Gable. 
Marcus Louise and Sylvester Laforte. <laughs> Surely you just go to Gable. I mean, it makes so much more sense. Yeah. God, they actually had a tag match where they took on Elias and Steve Cutler. I did not know Steve Cutler was in NXT five years ago. <laughs> I, uh, no we don't talk about it. No pun intended, I forgot about Steve Cutler. <laughs> we don't talk about it. I know. Uh, um, Alan, finish of this, the finish of this match, absolutely brilliant. It's one of the best finishes of a match I've seen in my life with these with these guys. Ah, it's really cleverly slightly done. It's just an absolute thing of beauty. It really is. I couldn't agree more, mate. Mm-hmm, yeah, it's the whole Gable goes for the Tilt of World DDT and Baron Corbin counters it into the end of days and that's the match done. David, you obviously you praised Baron Corbin earlier on but the way people can say all they want about his finisher but he can make that end of days look like the best dang move since sliced bread yeah this is one of my favourite end of days uh, like honest, honestly and I don't know if it's because at the end of days works better if it's on a smaller opponent obviously and Gable is like he's not the biggest obviously it's called shorty now but you're right Stephen it just looks so so good um, and obviously we get the gore before that which is up there with one of the best spears uh, I think in the history of wrestling but I can't tell this might be my favourite end of days it's either this one or the one he hit on Becky Lynch I'd say one of those two I'm actually reading this Sarah apparently um, Jordan and Gable were heels going into this match <laughs> I don't really get it now looking back I mean obviously it could make more sense I mean before before the tournament they took on those really 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 big baby faces of the hype bros you know you know everybody loved Mojo everybody still loves Mojo Rawley but it's they're, they're natural baby faces yeah no it was, it's a very very hard thing to even imagine I mean but then again, like we never could imagine that like someone like Bailey could turn heel. So, but at that time, you can never even just think, "Nah, there's no way." Like you've got a face versus face match here. There's no way that the American Alpha, the ones that are very very excited to be there um, and get involved with the audience, are are the are the heels in this match. It's like, nah, <laughs> don't even try to pretend. And. It's, it's, just, it's just crazy sometimes with WWE. I mean, we look back on this great finish five years ago, it's like, oh, how great a combination Baron Corbin and Chad Gable are. Then we had 2019, and they faced off about 20 times in a month. <sighs> the thing I find really weird about this, it's the first time I ever remember and ever seen um, Corbin as a face, like the fans cheering for him. That took me so, it took me back a lot. People like him. <laughs> Fans used to love him. Fans loved him at the start, with. And then he got that He is a natural born heel, and he's arguably yeah. the best heel in wrestling right now because he just gets that instant, instant hatred. Like, you just want to punch his face, and he's just so naturally good at it. Yeah. And then to him, oh my god, hang on, he's actually facing the Russian. What? Really? <laughs> yeah, they, they still boo him. Like, like, there was still a lot of boos for Corbin, like, as opposed to the Rhino, but in this match, he was. He can't. The crowd to made. Jordan and Gable the faces here you know what I mean but, um, to be fair like you say Stephen it, you've just reminded me that uh, Corbin did get what I call the NXT pop uh, when he won the Andre the Giant Battle Royal at Wrestlemania mm. but that was more for yes NXT's won the Battle Royal rather than yes Baron Corbin's won the Battle Royal I remember watching that just like you just kind of you just you, you see them all coming down going oh that's Corbin <laughs> Corbin <laughs> <laughs> and, and he wins it there's something else but no Baron Corbin and Rhino they advance for the finals of the Dusty Classic where they'll take on Finn Balor and Samoa Joe later in the show but 
We now get a couple of matches to kind of help break up the card as we get to the, the final of the Dusty Classic. And David, we <clears> have <throat> the debut, the in-ring debut of Asuka in oh, NXT. You know, yes. I remember when Asuka shows up in the crowd and she had the contract signed. I'd never heard her in my life. Didn't really, I wasn't as big. Didn't really follow Japanese wrestling as much mm-hmm. at this point in time. But you just look, it, just the whole look, the whole presentation when she comes out and you look back at it now and it's just like, this was very, very well done. The symbolism of having Asuka's in-ring debut on the night that ushered out the era of the four horsewomen as far as NXT was concerned was brilliant in hindsight. Watching watching this match, Asuka against Brooke, Asuka coming out to music that wasn't your typical Japanese wrestler, you know, strings, music, made her presentation, made her feel like a big deal, huge contract signing, uh, you had Kenta and Funaki in the crowd, uh, like, and they, they address it and they say, oh, they've came to watch Asuka. Graves can't stop saying during this match, she's not one of the best women's wrestlers on the planet, she's one of the best wrestlers on the planet. And we'll, we'll talk about the match in more detail, but like you say, Stephen, every part of this presentation made Asuka a star from day one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, Alan, she took on, as David said, Dana Brooke in this first ever takeover match. I mean, part of me shudders to, to remember that we've had five years of Dana Brooke, but... <laughs> I still actually think that this is the best version of Dana Brooke that they yeah. had in WWE. I thought she was good. I mean, she did well to put Asuka over. You know, her moveset was actually decent. Obviously, it's designed to make Asuka look strong. But they did well with Dana by, you know, her putting Asuka over, but she still looked strong. It was really, it was really well done. You know, I like this lesson with the, the handstand and choking Asuka in the corner with her, her heels or her feet. Um, you know, she did really well. Uh, and you know, I actually think Dana Brooke gets a lot of stick, which she really shouldn't. I, I think it's just a kind of way she's been booked in the main roster, mm-hmm. um, and it's just really, really poor. Because as far as I can see, if you get to WWE you, and you're in the main roster or, or NXT, whatever, you can't be that bad a wrestler. You've got to have something there. So mm-hmm. she's obviously got something. It's just that for whatever reason, they're just not booking her the correct way. I don't know if there's backstage politics, or it's a case of. They just let you go. You've got the Barbie body, the blonde, the big boobs. You'll do like that. It's like that ignorant attitude. I don't know if that's what it is. I think she lost confidence along the way. Like that, from from looking at Dana Brooke here. What I noticed was Dana Brooke looks like a presence. Dana Brooke feels like a star. Dana Brooke feels like she could be something. And you watch Dana Brooke in the main roster today, she seems unsure of herself. She seems like she's second guessing everything she's doing. And I didn't feel that with her against Asuka, and don't forget this is the first time they've faced off, you know what I mean? I mean, I know we're mostly going to use this to talk about Asuka, but go back to the Dana Brooke thing as well. I thought, when Dana Brooke was on the main roster, see when she was paired with Charlotte when she first came up, mm-hmm. they had a big, big, big chance to make mm-hmm. Dana Brooke look like a star at that feud, because I remember watching her being the sidekick to Charlotte. I mean, it, I mean, it was they, were, they had it when Raw came to Glasgow. The draw mm-hmm. the hydro, and we you just waited for that moment that Dana wanted to just cover in the mm-hmm. chops, and mm-hmm. she did it, and then it just kind of just fell, and it's just like they could have made Dana Brooke look absolutely like a world beater, but instead she kind of did it, and then it kind of fell flat a wee bit, you know. It's mm-hmm. a shame for Dana because she's got I love her. I think her music's great. 
I hear their music going, there's Dana! <laughs> <laughs> Still a more enthusiastic re- reaction than Todd Grisham to Christian. <laughs> there's oh, Dana! <laughs> don't, don't, talk about, don't talk about that thing for Christian, you'll make Sarah cry. Um, <laughs> uh, but Sarah, we will go to you and we'll talk more about Asuka. I mean, what did you think of um, Asuka's in-ring presence here in her debut? There was nothing like it. Like, you knew that she was standing out for a reason because there was there was nobody like her. I mean, apart from the fact that like, yeah, see when you like looked at the, the promo package for her, you could see how hard she was hitting and you're just like, oh my God. Okay, we, we don't usually see lassies hit like that or kick like that. So you knew that there was gonna be like a legitimate striker. I can't remember like one of the last legitimate strikers that came through NXT apart from Asuka. So just like the the presence, like she she took her time, she held her own, and you're just like she knows what she's doing, and it it was literally a sight to watch. I mean, you got pulled in, even just like from the entrance to when the the final bell goes, you just could not look away because like it was even to the point that she had never wrestled on NXT TV, like, yeah, she maybe appeared at a couple of, like, live events just before um, coming to TV and making her in-ring debut at a takeover, that when Dana slaps her, the whole audience knew and started chanting, you fucked up, because they, they knew just by Asuka's presence that they're like, oh, well, Dana's gonna die. <laughs> yeah, NXT crowd was great. Uh, Alan, a great thing, actually, I want to watch this back again, and obviously seen a lot more of, the, of Asuka in the last couple of years. I always remembered our NXT stuff just being hard-hitting, battering people, but in this early days, we kind of saw that kind of charisma and kind of natural, you know, jokey about kind of aspects of Asuka in this match while still coming across frightening at the same time. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I always remember Asuka is her movement. I had never seen a female wrestler move like that. It was the speed and the power it just came off. I mean, she was a, she was a whole different league of everyone. And I have even put the four horsewomen there. She was just so ahead of them. And for me, just everything about her, her physical attributes. Um, you know, she's definitely developed her character a lot more. Um, and, you know, but you could see right then, as David said, she was a star already. You know, you just you just knew. And, I mean, I love Ash. Ash was my favourite female wrestler. I think it's absolutely sensational. Mm. I, you know, looking back, not re- didn't realise this was actually her debut, and it's just amazing. And she just, she's a bit like whiskey. She's getting better age. Mm. She is I getting really. She is great. She know her NXT mm-hmm. run is absolutely fantastic. David, she kind of, she did not put a foot wrong while she was down in full sale. No, no, and the the only. The only question mark on Asuka's time in NXT would be should she have lost and dropped the title to Ember Moon? It would have ended the undefeated streak there as opposed to doing it to Charlotte at WrestleMania. But you could say that when Asuka left, it left without putting someone over. It did leave a void in the NXT women's division. It did take a wee while for it to, to fully recover after the loss of Asuka because of that. Um, but apart from that, I don't think Asuka had a bad match when she was down in NXT. Um, I think it was NXT TakeOver London. She faces Emma after this, and I remember very much enjoying that match as well. We look at, we've seen a promo after this match uh, for someone who's not like most girls and Nia Jax 
Uh, she had some some good matches against against Naya as well. Um, like you say, Stephen, there's there's too much to list in Asuka's time in NXT uh, um, to talk about it in detail. But you're you're right in what you say. Uh, by and large, ninety nine percent, very very good stuff from Asuka in NXT. I know, and it's Sarah David mentioned someone else. You know, somebody who shares the same mantra as him. It's all about me. You know, <laughs> and, and <laughs> Emma. Oh my God, I miss Emma. Oh, Tenil, Tenil. Uh, uh, I, I, I love every car- every incarnation of Emma or, or Tenil Dashwood. I just like, I can't believe that Zack Ryder dumped her. <laughs> or she dumped Zack Ryder. I can't remember one of which. I can't re- I, Zack's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let, let's not get too ahead of ourselves, right? Him and Chelsea Green are a lovely couple, and Emma's doing just fine, you know, without them, okay? Yes, but it's Emma. But- <laughs> I know it's Emma. No, I I think Emma was like a great addition to being on the outside of the ring. And yes, it set up another feud for Asuka. And I would have to say like Asuka versus Emma is one of my favourite matches. Mm. Uh, just it's a, like it's a good match on that show. It is so so good. Like two incredibly talented wrestlers who have got so much more experience. I mean, Dana probably definitely doesn't have as much experiences what Emma did I mean I saw a lot of potential with Dana um, so like see just like her no-handed cartwheel you're just like she could defy gravity <laughs> like it's, 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 it's small stuff like that <laughs> it's Dana oh my god <laughs> <laughs> no, Emma was I'm- I'm going to have to pop for Dana next time I hear her see her dinner. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it's Dana! Um, no, Emma was a good addition to this match as well, just because it was like the small things, and it's, it's always the small things that sort of make the big things, and again, that that it still made Asuka look like a threat, even if she, like, she did destroy Dana in five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's still class M. One of my favourite rivalries from the f- women's roster in NXT is Paige and Emma. So good, you know. Oh, it's a shame Paige that um, so good. it's so good. I mean, they ruined Emma for a bit by putting up a Santino, and then well, I know we Santino gets love in this podcast, but that was sh- that was shocking. Anyway, oh, sure. uh, great win for uh, Asuka to debut here, and obviously she goes on to dominate NXT for the next couple of years. Now, David, as you all, as you mentioned, you've mentioned what we got. We got a bit of a vignette before we get into the next match. And again, looking back, I can't believe it was five years ago that Nia Jax debuts. You know, she's not. She's not like most girls, and this was not like most vignettes. You know, she's left a legacy of a broken bones and tarnished bodies in her wake. And well, five literally, years, literally since. broken bones. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, one of the you know, Alan wants to talk about Sasha's botches. Well, have I got a wrestler for you, Alan, my friend? Uh, in all seriousness, there's something about Nia Jax's present. <laughs> like that one. Nia Jax's botches are beautiful. <laughs> they're, they're, not not like like most, most, they're not like most botches. Oh, no. And I'm a bit people. In all seriousness, um, I do think Naya is, is by by and large, been uh, an asset to the women's division. She's not like other characters that are on the roster. She does offer different types of matches, different types of storylines you can have. I did enjoy the build with her and Alexa for their WrestleMania match. It has to be said. Oh, the um, match is crap, though. Yeah, the match. The match was crap. The build. <laughs> 
let's just isolate the build. You know, the build was good. Sometimes <laughs> <laughs> the build in a match team and check it. It's on the same. It's on the same show as Charlotte and Asuka. <laughs> no, well, yeah, well, you look at it that way. Um, but like, I, I, I'm enjoying the stuff. I do like the stuff she's doing with Shayna right now. Um, to be to be perfectly honest, I think this is the best. The best two Ryan Jack things have come five years apart. The vignette for her debut and her tag team run with Shayna Baszler. <laughs> oh, um. Uh, Alan and I'll say this is David makes a good point I mean the current incarnation in, in Naya is probably what they wanted to envision from her at this, this point it just took them five years to get there but WWE standards that's good <laughs> <laughs> I mean yeah uh, Naya is a she's sudden isn't she I mean it's I find the right word she's an enigma you know she has this potential <laughs> brilliant and then just fucks up constantly <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, like, Yes, the quintessential fuck up, but yet they believe in her. They believe in her so badly, and you know, and I can understand. You know, they need a powerhouse in the women's division, and you know, we all know the, who the powerhouses are left in the women's division, and well, she's shite. <laughs> so they're stuck with Sasha. They're stuck with <laughs> I mean, Al, do you remember a, a few weeks ago in the first uh, the first edition of Central where we uh, the panel on that show, me and you included, uh, compared her and Shayna to a modern day Daniel Bryan and Kane. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, actually, I didn't compare it. I just didn't listen. I didn't say anything. I just listened to that and let you go on. <laughs> it's like she's the powerhouse and Shayna's the technical submission specialist it's there kind are, of comparison there are, there are modern day Mankind in The Rock if Mankind's partner was an actual boulder you know what I mean <laughs> like it's if you get as much movement out of that as you do it in Aya oh god poor Naya. Uh, Sarah we'll take we'll move away from Naya <laughs> and we'll talk about the next match on the card it's um it's, it's Apollo Crews taking on, look everybody, it's Tyler! <laughs> look everyone, it's Tyler! Uh, I'll, 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 Tyler Breeze, who's like, I love NXT, original NXT incarnation Tyler Breeze. Uh, he's okay now, but back then he was he's great. He's still very charismatic and he's still very Prince Pretty, okay? He doesn't have the weight. He doesn't Leave have alone. His, no, I'm, I'm praising him here. I love the whole <laughs> thing with the. I love the. I love the selfie stick and the fact that the camera was on the screen behind him. You know, back oh, in yeah. 2014, 2015, you think, oh, that's quite cool. <laughs> you know, but and um, in all seriousness, watching back this match, this is a sleeper match of the show. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and it's down to breeze. Uh. I'll, I'll, I'm going to come out and say it. For me, you talk about NXT call-ups not getting their due. Tyler Breeze is the biggest missed opportunity for me in yes. WWE history. Yeah. I yes, yes, he is, yeah, he is. loved Tyler Breeze. Tyler Breeze is the original curse of Dolph Ziggler. Yeah, yes. And Gary Kerlin once said on this one hundred percent. Why would you make that his first feud? Like they're far too similar. You know what I mean? Like to pair them together. And I just think Tyler Breeze shows here. When he shows in the rest of his his entire work in NXT, go back and watch it, people. You know, he can't match with Jushin Thunder Liger, for God's sake. Even I know who Jushin Thunder Liger is. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's, uh, 
it's one of those ones I'm watching him here I'm watching what he's doing I'm watching the full presentation a fully formed character and it dismays me how much they messed him up and I'm not saying that I don't enjoy Breeze today I enjoy him when he's doing GM mode and I'm up down down I enjoy him when he's doing, <laughs> winning the NXT tag team titles with Fandango but this is the like you said Stephen this is peak Tyler Breeze a perfect package ready to go up and be an upper mid carder on WWE's main roster for decades to come and they ruined it the only thing that was missing here was Beth like fawning over him for his entrance that would have just made it but great <laughs> nonetheless <laughs> I Tough. loved NXT Tyler Breeze, honest to God. It's just even his seasonal residences. Seem you talk about seem you talk about his SmackDown debut. It's not the fact that they debut it's not the fact that they debut him with Dolph Ziggler. He is literally the cast off from the Dolph Ziggler Rusev feud where Rusev was with Summer Ray and Summer Ray brings in Tyler Breeze. I mean, what the fuck? I know. God if there's a way to give someone no chance, like they literally gave him, because everyone's pure, like, you see it from Ricochet, he's like, because people are saying Ricochet should leave WWE, he's like, oh, I, I need to work harder. And I was like, there's only so much, like, people can work if they're being given, like, they can't even make a Michelin star meal with the scraps of a leftover KFC family bucket. You know what I mean? And that's that's the equivalent of what Tyler Breeze was given in his call up to the main roster. It still legitimately makes me angry. Oh, I can tell, dude. Still makes me sad. I can tell, I can tell, but, um, Alan, we'll talk about the other man in this match, uh, Apollo Crews. This is Let's go back to Breeze now, come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alan, Apollo Crews. Uh, this is his uh, second takeover match. He made his debut against the Perfect Ten, Ty Dillinger at Brooklyn. I mean, when you look at uh, Apollo Crews here, he looks, he's got all the tools to be a star. It's amazing, again, that it took until 2020 to figure out the best way to use him in any form, in any capacity. Yeah, I mean, I think Apollo Crews is the world champion written over him. He's, as you see, he's got absolutely everything. He's got the physique, he's got the athleticism, he's got the charisma, he's got the absolute package. And, uh, yeah, as I say, it's taken five years. I mean, and you, as I said, you've just mentioned about Naya. Five years to get it right. It's still, it's taken five years to get Tyler Breeze right. It's taken five years to get Apollo right. It's just, a, it's just a shame you look at some of these people, they still haven't, they either still haven't had it nailed in WWE or they're just starting to come to fruition. And it's a travesty when you look at how quality these performers are, especially when you talk about the likes of that last match with Tyler Breeze and Paul Cruz. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Well, you talk about actually five years, I mean, going back a wee bit, what we talked about on the show, if you look at some of the guys who are in this Dusty Classic, a great name that Sarah mentioned, Sarah, I'll go back to you. Uh, Angelo Dawkins, I mean, he was in NXT floating, floundering for about five years. Now you look at him, he's part of one of the most charismatic tag teams in WWE today in the Street Profits. So, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I still think that, um, like, see, when it came to uh, Apollo Crews, because I'm pretty sure he got sent up to Raw and SmackDown not too long after this um, this pay per view, actually, because it was, I remember after, it being it was after Mania quick. next year. It was after Mania. The, it was one of the Raw after Mania call-ups the next pretty much Aye, the year so after this. He been on TV barely a year at NXT and then all of a sudden he got sent up to Raw and SmackDown and that way too quickly for him. Like, mm. I can see why. Like, there's, like, like Alan said, he's got the, everything that ticks the box to be a champion, but he got he got taken too early. And like In my opinion, he didn't have enough time to sort of craft and like actually get himself his own identity because at this point 
he was just the mad guy who could do flips that you didn't think could do flips and that was about it and then <laughs> you ended up with him <laughs> I know but it's like then he ended up being like just floundering and then part of Titus Worldwide and then that didn't go anywhere <gasps> either oh my god do you remember that you know who was in Titus Worldwide Dana Dana cheesy animals it all comes back to Dana damn Dana I'm looking back on them. Um, actually, Sarah, you'll get this is quite funny. Guys, you'll find this funny. He did debut on Raw, the Raw after WrestleMania in 2016. Do you know who he beat on Raw that night? Dana? No. <laughs> no Tyler, <laughs> he beat, Tyler Breeze. He beat oh, Tyler Breeze. Lord above, man. <laughs> and that's, they, put, they put him on SmackDown during the draft, and he feuds with Baron Corbin and Kalisto. He's got fucking no chance. <laughs> <sighs> Hearing that just makes you so like. I, I know this is the most overused phrase in wrestling, right? But I cannot wait till the time when Triple H takes over WWE because you just know that this wouldn't have happened. I know that I know that people say it all the time, and I know it's wrong and all that. But like, you look at this, you look at this and match the beauty. Like Apollo Crews going for the insult, breeze catches his legs, goes for it anyway, but he gets the knees and rolls him into a pin. We could be seeing that in Raw SmackDown with Triple H in charge, man. But we don't. And I don't get annoyed about it, but when it comes to Breeze, I just get, like, my lid blows, man. My lid bloody <laughs> blows off. We were, I mean, did- we were given the fashion police when Breeze found, found Fandango. We were <laughs> given, like, that. That was, like, the best thing that had happened since <laughs> moving to the main roster. Because I, I was looking forward to fashion police every week. Yeah. He's, he's- to be honest, it was the highlight of SmackDown most weeks. It was great on Smack. It was great on SmackDown, and they kind of just, they chucked it aside. It was really bad. David, I'll go back to this one because um, Breeze kind of... What I love about Breeze in this one, he seems to just counter everything that Apollo Crews is doing. Mm-hmm. Every, every single move that Apollo... I mean, it's just like, no, counter, moonsault, knees up, boom. It's just like, it takes that big, fantastic powerbomb finisher that Apollo Crews has got to put him away. Yeah. And, well, that's what the, the presentation in NXT, Tyler Breeze, wasn't... It was just like, oh, a pretty boy heel who would get, like, his arse handed to him, essentially. Like, he was presented as a very, very capable professional wrestler. And you see that, like I said, the, the spot I pointed at is a, just a, it's an absolute thing of beauty because you're so convinced that it's the end of the match. You know, and like, like you said, Stephen, this comes on to Raw. This is a throwaway match that no one cares about. But these two guys in NXT because of their work ethic just makes like people care about it like there's no one who does a better super kick than Tyler Breeze the supermodel kick eh, apart from Shawn Michaels I was going to say the supermodel kick I, I absolutely love it's an absolute thing <laughs> of beauty um, but you're right that was the, that's the difference and that's what got lost in the presentation of Tyler Breeze that in NXT he had this gimmick he had the pumping circumstance around him but he was still presented as a capable wrestler but when he goes up to the main roster presented as a joke I mean Sarah I mean Tyler, it wasn't like Tyler Breeze consistently got bad booking. I mean, if you look back on it, I mean, he was in the main event of the first ever official. Well, he took on Sami Zayn in the first ever takeover, beat Sami Zayn, then he's in a, a fatal four way match in the main event of the next one. So, <gasps> what a match. He's so well, he's, he's well presented. Just that sometimes you just think they never fought, they never took him that further step. And this kind of year in 2015, he has this loss to Apollo, he lost to Jushin Funda Liger, the pay per view before. It's just like, they didn't want to just pull the trigger with him at any point, which is frustrating given now that he's 
you know, back in NXT after not doing much in the main roster. He is a tag champ, but he's just not had the singles run that he could have had. Oh, that they actually greatly upsets me because of like he was in that title picture for so long. I mean, I know that they were trying to push the whole like Sami Zayn of being the heart and soul of NXT at that time, and him never being able to actually get like that win. But Breeze, that could have easily been like a nice wee feud as well because it again. All the feuds that he went into, like Tyler Breeze, it was a legitimate thing that you're like, right, okay, this is what a narcissist could actually get mad about. I mean, mm-hmm. the reason he started that feud with uh, CJ Parker is because he was being photobombed by CJ Parker. <laughs> and you're like, like, that is what it's like storytelling. A legitimate feud here. Like, nah, you were photobombing the, the narcissistic, narcissistic model. It's like stuff like that. I mean, oh, it was it's very, very sad. And it's, it's making me sad. David, I think we need to get a Tyler Breeze appreciation show getting going. Yes, the Tyler and Dana Brooke profile show uh, should be <laughs> something that should be done in tandem. <laughs> I get, um, agree. you get Ross McLeod on that show? I know, I, know yes. big, I know he's a big fan of Dana's work. I know, I know he's what he loves. <laughs> our, Bella, our Bella campaign has been successful at long last. This is our next. It took me two years get. to get that. <laughs> Dreams will come true. <laughs> you can hear our um, Bella Twins podcast in a few weeks' time here on the ESSR feature on Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Uh, moving, moving away from this match, and we'll go on to the finals of the Dusty Cup. It's the climax of the matches we talked about earlier on the show. It's Finn Balor and Samoa Joe versus Rhino and Baron Corbin. Alan, first thing before we go into the match, Brandy Rhodes on on announcing duty. I just... I, 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 I didn't like her in that role. I don't like her in the role now, but <laughs> she's there. I just... I blocked her out, mate. <laughs> I just heard dead silence. No dead ah. air when she spoke. I I, 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 I I remember her in that role. I just didn't remember her being in that on that show. I don't understand I'd, why she was on that show, but I'd rather watch her wrestle than listen to her commentary. Oh no, her wrestling's crap. So <laughs> <was> a commentary. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, she did a good promo and was it Dark or Dynamite the other week? She did an alright promo. Then it's the only promo she's ever done that's ever any good. But she was still announcing. You'd assume. As being a good announcer, you would be a natural for commentary, but for her, it doesn't seem to be the case. I don't know if it was I when she was even comment- say she was that good at commentary, like at doing announcing. You didn't, it didn't feel like a like a big match. I mean, Greg Hamilton was announcing this show. You just know it's going to be mm-hmm. a big match feel when Greg Hamilton's got the uh, got the mic in his hand, but especially with Shane McMahon. Shane McMahon's in the match. Yeah. He, he sells that like a fucking. You know, like a car, like Quacko sells cars. Yeah, you can tell when an announcer is good, they have a memorable call. Like you've got the the Tony Treble call uh, for Rated R Superstar. Like you've got Justin Roberts, John Cena. Like what's John Moxley? He's John Moxley. Is John Moxley as good as well, Justin Roberts? Let's oh, it's, it's it's Gian. Gian. <laughs> but what's yeah. the iconic? What's the iconic? Eden call. You know, no one's ever said, "Oh, I love the way Eden said this person's name." You know what I mean? Yeah, but she, 
she, she left WWE because they wouldn't give her any any chances other than that. I was like, well, looking now, we can understand why, but we're not yeah. talking. We're not going to talk too much about Brandy on this one. We're going to talk about the match. And David, we'll go to you on this one. Um, mm. Give credit to Finn. Sells that knee injury continuously in this match like a pro. Great, yeah. Longevity to it. Yeah, and it's like it, it creates um, genuine tension. You know what I mean? Because uh, we've seen. The legitimate toughness of Baron Corbin and Rhino of competitors is well documented as well. And it is the classic babyface in peril, uh, like sort of meat and potatoes layout to a tag team match, or will Finn's leg be able to cope? It is strange though, the only the only flaw in the logic was the fact that Balor did start the match, which Graves called out in commentary. And this is what I like about Graves, when Graves sees something that is stupid, like storyline-wise, he openly just calls it out in commentary, <laughs> like, uh, like sort of Byron's trying to justify it. And then Graves is like, no, it's stupid, like it's idiocy, why would you have Finn start the match? But in terms of Finn's performance, you're right. He sells the leg very well. It does uh, give us a uh, absolute like it gives us cause to concern that, that Balor and Joe might not get the job done here. Yeah, and uh, say that's a it's a it's a classic contrast in styles tag match that we've seen a million and one times in wrestling. But when they kind of when they get the logic right, I mean, it produces a decent enough match, and that's what we get here. It's not a classic match, but it's a decent match to kind of round off the tournament. Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, like you said, it's not really a classic, classic match. I mean, despite the fact that it's called the Dusty Rose Tag Team Classic. Um, but I would, I would say it, it was good enough. Um, I, I'm not too convinced that it should have been these two teams in the final. I mean, you always think, like, because it, it was, they were just two tag teams thrown together. Um, like, nothing to take away, but it's the fact that, you know, Finn was the champion, that this is the only way they were probably going to have the champion on the show, mm-hmm. in a way, um, because that was that was really it. It's just like, champ, champ. Yeah, that that's about it. Um, like, I would have preferred to see, like, The Revival and uh, American Alpha, like, two, two tag teams. I mean, American Alpha were quite new at that point, but I think, like... The two teams pulled it off enough to sort of do right. Okay, this is like a kickoff. Um, I'm not too convinced of why Rhino was actually in the match, considering like Finn, Samoa Joe, and Baron Corbin spent a lot of time in the performance center under Dusty. Um, I know that like Rhino probably spent some time with them like back in the day, but I don't know why there was like maybe not another person that maybe could have paid their tribute to him in that way I guess. I think Rhino's in the match purely big force from storyline purposes that he had the match with Corbin a couple of takeovers beforehand they kind of had that mutual respect kind of idea and they kind of wanted to do it again so I think the idea of putting them together was based on that I think less than the idea of them being in there for Dusty. Again I mm. can also see your point about Revival and American Alpha but on the flip side if we'd got the match between the two here would we have appreciated the match they had in Dallas a few months later on WrestleMania Maybe. weekend the same way? I don't know if that we was. We don't know that. We don't know <laughs> that. Get, yeah. They kind of had two matches actually. They had the one at Royal Rumble weekend actually as well. So they had two matches there actually. But and it, it's also the thing I do have a problem with the first ever winners of the Dusty Road Tag Team Classic being two singles <laughs> wrestlers. And not only that, two singles wrestlers who beat 
two other singles wrestlers in the final <laughs> of that tournament. I think um, I love tag team wrestling. I do. I think tag team wrestling, like in the biggest thing that AEW's got, right, is tag team wrestling can main event your card. They can be your biggest stars in the company, your biggest draw for your company. But WWE seems to have a problem with it sometimes. And NXT is usually much better for it. We're getting into the golden era of NXT tag teams coming up after this. But this, for me, was a misstep. Not that I didn't enjoy the matches, but this was a misstep, I think. I mean, Alan, we're thinking about it. We're going to talk about the main event in a wee bit, but if this event was changed and this was the match that closed out the pay-per-view would this pay-per-view have been looked back as well on now five years on as we are looking at it now no absolutely not it seems it was a a decent match it wasn't um, it wasn't a class it wasn't it just it made a very underwhelming finish you know, we've got this incredible finish with the match we'll talk about next. But I, I'd, have been, I'd have felt quite bitter about it if that ended the match. I mean, I think it's in the perfect place because it's just, the matches have genuinely got better and better to this and then it's taking a dip and then it's going to have the high finish at the end. So I think it's in the perfect position. If it was the main event, I'd be bitterly disappointed. And I, I reckon the fans would have, and I think the tarnished the actual pay-per-view overall. Mm-hmm. I mean... Sarah, David mentioned about we're going in after this one to the peak period of NXT tag team, so maybe it wasn't maybe appreciated as a tag team at this point, but I went back a couple of months before it, or a month or so before it, at the Brooklyn pay-per-view, and this featured one of my favourite NXT tag team title matches of all time between the Vaude Villains and Blake and Murphy. Not a classic <laughs> in any way, but it's so, so fun to watch, you know, it's absolutely it's class. The pop for the Vaudevillains who got nowhere near the finals of this tournament, got knocked out in the quarters. Granted off of the revival, who beat them for the tag titles, but they get absolutely nowhere. I mean, it's not as if there was tag team was not a big thing there. They took it very seriously, they did a great job with it still, so they could have easily put at least one big tag team over. They had Enzo and Cass at that point as well. Yeah, actually had DIY in that tournament as well. Knocked out in the first round. Oh. Very sad. Second, second round, sorry. Second round, they were not there, actually, I think. Very, very sad. I'm pretty sure it's the first round, actually. No, it was quarter-final. They beat Tyler Breeze and Bill Dempsey in the first round, which is in itself is a travesty. But then it was uh, Baron Corbin and Ryan <laughs> knocked them out in the quarter Oh, yeah. Didn't know you were a fan of Bill Dempsey, David. <laughs> oh, Bill Fit. That's, that's the fitness routine I'm following at the gym right now, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't oh, like they had... It wasn't like they had, I mean, if you look at some of the teams that were in the tournament, you know, we had... You had the Ascension? The Ascension, exactly. They also could beat off a Corbin and Rhino. My God, they had a great run in this tournament. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Villains get knocked out. Uh, Lucha Dragons, they were a good tag team in NXT. You know? You know? Mm -hmm. Sin Cara. You know? Mm -hmm. Enzo and and Cass as well, they were in it, you know? Um, yeah, you had um, Alex, Alexander Wolf and uh, Kona Reeves as well. Oh, is that who, is that, who that guy is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. he's down, it's, he's Kona, down here. it's Kona Reeves. He's down in Wikipedia as no ka, ki, Kikawa. <laughs> no. Uh, Kikawa. God, I'm, butch- I'm butchering and his it's... name as much as David butchered the G1 lineup last week. Uh, it's, a fan, it's an epidemic, <laughs> Stephen. <Yeah, no. laughs> it is, that's Kona Reeves that was tag teaming with Alexander Wolf in the first round. <laughs> Ah, oh, the finest. I remember on a, one of our NXT UK reviews and Gary Gary Kernan gave some praise to Kona Reeves. 
Wait a minute, screens with analysis then, boss. Yeah, well, Gary, Gary's just a nice guy in general, isn't he? He's going to, Gary giveth, you know, and Gary fires you. You know, that's what he's Campbell, you only know half the stories, mate. Trust me. <laughs> you don't. Your toenails are cold. You have half the other stories he's told me. You only know oh. half. Or Gary, or Alan, you only know half the stories. Trust me. <laughs> I get headhunted for a job in his charity, and I said no. And the headhunter said, Why? I went, Because I know the director. I ain't working for him there. Why? I went, One of my best mates. And I know how he gets rid of people. So, no way. And they were like, Okay then. <laughs> yeah, I would. I, I wouldn't work for Gary either. He's done a great job organising these feature shows. So thank you, Gary. But you're a bit of a tyrant at times. <laughs> <laughs> a wonderful, sexy tyrant, man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, shall we talk about the main event, folks? No. We've got, we've got about 20 minutes left of the show. I've got plenty of time to go through the main event. I think the main event deserves a wee bit extra time because it is an absolute, you know, it, it's historic. Makes up, <laughs> it makes up so much. Of the, it makes up so much of the show. Uh, Saying that we kind of briefly touched upon it, but I think the video package they put on just before this match helps sell it even better than it does than we did beforehand. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think also the fact that they had it as part of um, Breaking Ground as well. Yes. Um, because like again, that added to it. It was a ne- it was like another thing of a network special. But the the build up, like even just d- that video package, it, it does it makes you excited for the match. You're just like, oh yeah, I forgot that happened. Oh, oh, oh okay, that makes so much sense now. Like, it's small things. Like, like I keep saying, it's the small things that make the big <laughs> things. Yeah, definitely. Now, um, Alan, it's interesting we've got you on the show uh, today because we've got David and we've got Sarah on the show and myself. And the three of us were involved on the NXT Best of Takeover show last year. Feels like a decade ago now with what's wow. happened this year. I remember that show well. Great yeah. ending. I know you remember that show. Fantastic ending, actually. Uh, but um, we rated this match quite highly. I mean, myself and Sarah rated it as the be- as 10 of the best matches from the list that we had. David rated it as number one. I'll ask your opinion on this one. How high would you class this on TakeOver of past? Oof, I think that's the worst question you've ever asked me because there's so many quality matches takeovers done. Um, oh, we know we ra- when we ranked them, it was quite a, a big that's a, that's a hard thing. It really is. That's a, that's a, excuse my friend, that's a cunt of a question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's the fact that you've just put him on the spot, Stephen. You didn't even give him time to prepare. I know, I didn't give him two weeks of spreadsheets. Um... <laughs> Hooray. I would say it's certainly top five. I'd probably maybe put it. Oh, I'm probably going to go fourth. I can probably think of three. I prefer to. Yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely I mean, good. We we ranked it. It was overall seventh on that show. I would definitely say it's the greatest. Uh, well, it's the greatest of women's NXT match I've ever seen. My personal favourite all-time women's match is actually Asher Charlotte at WrestleMania. Um, mm. 
I think if we, we did that show just before the Cole Gargano match, so I think if we had done it after yeah. that one, we would have ranked that very, ranked that very highly. We mm-hmm. did Champer Gargano 1 was really high, and we also ranked the match between these two at uh, Brooklyn very highly as well. Mm-hmm. As well as that versus Bates. And I could have a totally different answer for you. It's just one of those questions, I can't have a an exact answer for it because depending like the mood you know I can wake up tomorrow could be second I can wake up tomorrow and it could be ninth yeah. you know I, yeah it's just, it's just the quality of the match the takeover the mm. but without question top 10 but tonight I would say top 5 definitely let's put it for number 4 Alan's right though like there are very high quality matches at NXT takeovers it's very easy for me to rank it though it's still my favourite Still my favourite main event of all time to this very day. There's been a lot that's came since then. I just think the history behind this one, like you talked about Stephen, the build, the match itself, everything I knew that was coming, and I was just like, it's like watching one of your favourite films again. You're like, you could know every line of it, and it still hits just as good. I'd still put this as my number one. Yeah, you, you, I, I, I listened back to that show just um, just before we came on the air, just before we recorded, and some some of the praise you lavished on that match, David, was absolutely from a, a sip. As a man with a cinematic background, you know, she <laughs> said the way the match was structured, the way they built it up. I remember on that show, said man that we talked about te- uh, five minutes ago, Gary, loved the fact that for the first minute or two, they just didn't lay a hand on each other. They would just kind of scout each other, you know, try and figure out, try and a bit of, I know it's two women in the match, so pardon the phrase, man up each other. Like, yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And also take in the moment. You know, it's all it's almost like a kayfabe that first two minutes it, it blurs the line between are they sizing each other up or is this Sasha Banks and, and Pamela uh, the performers you know taking in the appreciation taking a wee minute uh, to feel the sort of history in the crowd and sort of just take a breather but you know you're right Stephen I still stand by the structure of this match is perfect the first as soon as the first fall hits that's when it really gets into the the, the gear for me because I love that first fall is genius to this day I was watching it and I was like that is absolutely genius what Sasha Banks does for that first fall the, the covers the referee poke in the eye schoolgirl into the pin and I'm just like oh it's so so good <laughs> Alan was like what she said earlier perfect heel yeah I mean say that we obviously, again, we recorded that show last year before. This is, that was at the point where Sasha and Bailey were tag teaming as the women's tag champs. It was before Sasha took the time off and came back and feuded with Becky Lynch and turned heel. But at that point, we said that this was the peak of Sasha's heel work. Would you still stand by that, given what we've seen in the 18 months since then with Sasha Banks? No, oh, absolutely. I think, like, she seems to have taken a step back in terms of, like, her heel work. I mean, that was the boss character that we all came to actually love and that's what's got lost when she moved to Raw. I mean, like it, you've just seen it dwindling and dwindling over time and it, it doesn't feel quite the same. Um, like She's still a great heel and I'm, I'm assuming that with the whole thing with Bailey that she's going to be the one to turn babyface, which I'm yeah, not looking true. forward to um, because 
we've seen Sasha try to be a, a baby face and it just does not seem to gel for her. Like, if she's going to be the boss, the boss lady, you know, she it's assertive. She's always putting herself, like, really, really high above everyone else. And it's not the same, like, coming out with the cars and the whole bling. Like, that is the Sasha Banks we know and the one that she came into her own. So I, I still think to this day that this was her best heel work and that it's just went downhill like she's been it's like she's been told to tone it back or something i mean don't get me wrong i think she's got i think she's still fantastic in the ring you know i think she's done great oh yeah in recent months it's just know. her character to work is but, it's gone down a wee bit i mean alan uh you look at the thing with uh stealing a headband from a child in the front row it's oh equal, my god it's it's equally good heel and equally good uh, face if MD follows Izzy's Twitter activity. <laughs> uh, I mean, Sasha is, you know, from a character perspective, is absolutely perfect in this game. As David said, the way the first fall goes, the fact that she doesn't actually have a clean fall in the match, is mm-hmm. that she, she cheats the finger poke uh, to get the, the first pin. And then she throws uh, Bailey into the screen and just leaves her and just takes the count out. You know, she plays it perfectly, she plays against the fans, you know. It's just meant to be taking the headband off the, the wee girl and then parading about in it, you know. And she's just toying with the fans. She's just absolutely sensational. That is the best I've ever seen a Sasha Bank. And I, I agree with Sarah, I am not looking forward to babysitting Sasha. If that Sasha came back, it probably would turn me more into becoming a fan of her. I want to see that because uh, to me, Bailey has done well with the heel, but I think the reason Bailey's done so well with the, the heel one is because she's rubbing it off of Sasha. And Sasha's probably giving her the advice, the tips on what to do, and she's taking it and running with it. Whereas Bailey's a natural heat face, and that's what I want to see. I, want to, I really want to swap roles going into this rivalry. I think and if we get the bitch as Sasha, we're going to have arguably the best rivalry uh, you know, WWE's done in probably the last decade. You know, the one reason why I think they've went with Bailey as the the heel in this in this current feud that they're going to have I think it's because Bailey has the title I think if I think mm. if Bailey didn't have the title they could have easily flipped it but because Bailey is the one still the champ and Sasha's the one who's lost out I think it kind of works the way they've kind of played it aye but, <laughs> you know what I do kind of hope when they do finally face off I hope Bailey isn't the champion this match doesn't need the title I don't um, think it does I don't think it does Oh, I, say, I certainly want that. Nikki Cross, please. <laughs> yeah, this, isn't, this isn't Saturday Draft Live, David. <laughs> well, uh, ex- ex- excluding, you know, Dave's, uh, you know, draft antics, having an All-Scottish champion perfect, there's a proud Scotsman, fantastic. Yeah. But also, they don't need it, and I think. Not having a title, just making it more personal, just mm. adds to the storyline. I do uh, hope, however, though, if it does happen... Like, we're going to probably get Hell in a Cell. We might get an all match after that. It needs to end in another Iron Man match at WrestleMania. And you could even do callbacks. Imagine Bailey wins a fall because she throws Sasha into the screen and then maybe steals a Sasha Banks sign off a girl in the mm-hmm. front row. Imagine that sort of symmetry, you know, coming in here. Because everyone seen this. This isn't like a, an indie match that no one's seen. Everyone knows this match. So you can do those very clear callbacks to it. 
you know, and that would be mm-hmm. really, really strong long-term storytelling and would show the progression of Bailey from this sort of lovable character into that dis- despicable heel. But just just to point in that spot specifically, I think it's up there as one of my favourite spots in a wrestling match of all time. Just like the Sasha, the viciousness with which she throws her and then seeing Izzy's wee crying face still fills me with joy to this day. <laughs> oh, it's so wonderful. Uh, Can I ask a question just based on what you said there, because I love that idea. The Iron Man or Iron Woman match, what you call it, would it have to be the half hour or would they try and go for the full hour? I don't think in today's society we have the patience for a full hour match. I don't think it would be as, as good and I don't think it would be beneficial for the competitors if it was an hour. For me, full on hour Iron Man matches, despite who's involved, I've not seen one that I haven't tuned out of. This half an hour Iron Man match, I was watching every second of it. And it still felt mm-hmm. amazing. The best, the best hour Iron Man match is Rock Triple H Judgment Day 2000. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's by far mm. the best one. Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar on SmackDown is decent, but there's too many breaks for my liking on a TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But David, I'm actually going to have a throwback to this to the show that show I've mentioned about it again. You can catch it. The best of NXT takeovers on a back catalogue. It's one of the best <laughs> shows I actually think. It's actually one of the best shows I think we've actually ever done. The way we analysed that all the yeah. matches but on that particular show David you said that Bailey's not a person suited for long title reigns as she approaches one year as Smackdown Women's Champion <laughs> don't throw that back <laughs> in my face and I'll stand by that alright it's that version of Bailey was not suited for long title reigns because that was the white meat baby face Bailey alright and those don't do good as we know from Glow it's all about the chase Right, you want to see Welfare Queen as champion with someone chasing her for the belt. You don't want to see Bailey as champion. That was based on that Bailey character. This Bailey character, uh, the golden role model Bailey, is suited for a long title reign because she is the despicable heel. The point I was making about Bailey was less about um, my dear Pamela as a person and more about just sort of like baby face and heel dynamics and how that plays out with the title reign. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Sarah, on the back to the ma- back to the actual match. Uh, We've obviously talked about all the things that went on as the falls went on, but I think the closing 10-minute stretch of this match, I think they hit all the right chords at every single point during this whole closing to the final fall. Oh, it was like the final 10 minutes. At this point, you were on the edge of your seat because you did not know how this was going to go because like, I'm... I'm pretty sure what was it? it was was it still two one at that point when it came to the final ten minutes? No, it was it was two two. Uh, two two. Bailey brought it back to two two quite quickly after the whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, like when it was Sasha applying like the bank statement at, at that point, you're just like, oh wait, is is Bailey actually going to? Is she actually going to tap your? Uh, you like I was like when we were sitting watching this back. Even five years later, I was still <laughs> on the edge of my seat because I was <laughs> like, at, th- at that point, I forgot like the actual end of the match. Like this is when it's fun to go back and watch matches that you haven't actually necessarily watched in a while because it then comes back to you. But at the same time, you feel like you're watching a brand new match again, and you're sitting on the edge of your seat and you're like, oh my, I couldn't actually remember when um, Bailey managed to get. I knew it was like really quick towards the end, but I didn't realize how close at the end. Um, but yeah, no, it's that sort of stuff has you on the edge of your seat, and like I would recommend anyone to like if they've got a match that they haven't actually watched in a good number of years and is maybe like foggy in your memory, go back and watch it because you'll probably be like on the edge of your seat and be like, oh my god, I forgot how good that is. 
Yeah, because uh, Alan, one thing David mentioned on that last po- the last podcast where we mentioned it is it's a thirty minute match, but it flies in. You know, it does. I remember when I was watching it, I tried to break it into ten minute segments, and I'm like, okay, that's the first ten minutes, and it's the f- with the first ten minutes you see. No, you were talking about the first five minutes or so. They are just sort of feeling each other out, so it does kind of it's a slow burner, and it does it does kind of feel a wee bit long, hmm. but then. The second ten minute break, you take it in, and you see it just flies, and then before you know it, you're like, hold on, there's only ten minutes left, and before you know it, you're down to the final minute, and you're like, what's going to happen? Yeah, you know, um, it does. It is really, really quick. And to make another point, just to show how good this match was, Hazel sat and watched me watch this, and actually started asking me questions. Hazel hates wrestling. She didn't understand the big deal about it at the end, the big deal about the flowers and all that. She didn't realise this was a huge pinnacle moment in wrestling. Um, mm-hmm. It was a big moment for Stephanie, man. Oh, big moment for <laughs> everyone involved. <laughs> but, but do you know the other thing as well? For me, this match is brilliant. Do not get me wrong, it's absolutely terrific. I still think, when you look back at the two of them, they're still very raw. They're still not, you know, still, the finesse still isn't there. You know, the twee tweaks are here and there, the move sets and so forth. They're, they're moving around. It's not quite there yet. And they're putting that type of quality of match on when they're not, they're not the finished article yet. Mm. So if this next rivalry comes in, I think it's going to absolutely blow the arse at this one. This one, we're going to forget about it because if we're going to get a, a trilogy of matches, I think DC are going to be the ones we're going to be talking about for years to come, not this one. And this is an absolutely sensational match. Yeah, because uh, David, you mentioned about throwbacks if they did the match again. The amount of throwbacks they did to Brooklyn. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, I loved uh, the uh, Sasha uh, blocking the Rana at one point in the corner. And it's like, it's like Great. build up that sort of mental, like, I know what she's going to do, I know what's going to happen here. Uh, and then avail- uh, Bailey eventually hits a reverse one, and Sasha manages to land it. And it's incredible, you know, and it leads that's what leads into the sort of direct, more direct finish of the match. But that's what good wrestling rivalry should do. It's one of the only physical mediums where you're able to have this kind of callback storytelling. And we see it, we've seen it throughout the Champer Gargano feuds, uh, the amount of callbacks they did there. Um, and we've seen it, you know, seen it Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, their back to back WrestleMania matches. That's what wrestling should be able to do. A single movement or a single block move or a single facial expression should be able to elicit a reaction from the crowd and that's what Sasha Banks and Bailey have always, have always got right but especially in this match yeah yeah and as the crowd said Sasha's ratchet no she's not <laughs> I, always, I always thought I've seen Sasha legit I always thought it was legit it wasn't so I watched it again that I found out it was ratchet <laughs> You always thought Sasha's legit. No, she's not. Yeah, that's what I always thought it was. I, I was always Ratchet. Was... <laughs> Who's Ratchet? Ratchet and Clank. Was it, was it Ratchet and Clank? I don't know. Um, I'm going to Google that now. It's hard because my keyboard's <laughs> broke. I'm getting a new one tomorrow. I, mean, I don't <laughs> think right. so. I mean, it's a very... It's it's sort of like a Urban Dictionary thing, but... um. I would say actually it 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 depends because it's people can say it's like really really good or exciting but then it's like sometimes it's characterized as being over dramatic and you're like well which one is it I've got I've got the definition up here according to the urban dictionary um, <laughs> <laughs> and I quote 
uh, ratchet is a slang term in hip hop. Uh, I'm assuming that's a musical genre that, in its original sense, refers to an uncouth woman and maybe a Louisianian regulate version of the word ratchet or various of the word ratchet. <laughs> oh well, I apologise. I always thought it was just something to do with like ratchet, ratchet and clank. <laughs> it turns it, out, it used, it it turns out we're so many insult. levels. We're so many levels of wrong here. <laughs> I mean, according to dictionary.com, not Urban Dictionary, but it says, like, it was formerly used as an insult, um, mm. uh, but now it's to mean exciting or excellent to as a term for empowering women. But back then, it was an insult <laughs> for being uh, overdramatic. Oh, this oh. is like 8 out of 10 cats does count down here. Right? That's brilliant. <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you Rachel Riley and Alan Susie then? I... I would be the Sean Locke of that show, I believe. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and Jack, like Jimmy Carr. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have any of you watched Countdown with social distancing? It's just not the same. Susie Dent's connection of the corner with some person, and they're like, they're like two metres apart, and the guy's sitting, the person's sitting there like, I don't have a clue what's in here. <laughs> that's, that's what Susie, that's what Susie's been wanting from the get-go, mate. That's, that's, Susie's been wanting dictionary corner to herself for decades. <laughs> but, enough about Countdown, you maybe catch that in another podcast. Uh, <laughs> overall, overall, folks, uh, a good a good takeover. Loved it, yep. Brilliant takeover. In my opinion, still is up there with the best. Well, there we have it. That has been a look back at NXT TakeOver Respect. Five years on from the show, it was it meant to be probably the last TakeOver in the Performance Centre, but it's probably going to be the last TakeOver in the Performance Centre with fans. We never know when we come out of the COVID era, but we'll see how things go with TakeOver then. But that has been a look back at that pay-per-view. If you've enjoyed listening to us talk about all the things, Dana Brooke, <laughs> Isla Breeze. It's Dana! <laughs> Dana. And countdown. <laughs> you can subscribe to us. Susie Dent. Susie Dent. <laughs> you can subscribe to us on your choice of podcast platforms. The one you're listening to or any other one just search for Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. We're on them all. We're also on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just search for us again at Suplex Retweet. Girls will find us on YouTube. Uh, we've got so many shows. David talks about a lot of rubbish. They, they, there's a quiz. They, they quiz a lot. A quiz showdown. I'm so much- leading the latest quiz showdown. It's a disgrace. You can you can catch it all on our YouTube channel. We've got so much great stuff on that and on the podcast network on the feature shows. ESSR Central. We talk about you. Saturday Draft Live. Eats Me Swear. So much stuff there. Next week on ESSR Central, we're going to be looking back at. The first year of SmackDown on Fox. Ryan Gallagher's meant to host it. Will he show Let's. up? Who <laughs> just don't have just don't have Strack as your backup, and you might actually have a host for the show. <laughs> oh Yo. dear, that's not going to age well. Oh, you can you can hear us then. Also, we're going to be we've obviously got. ESSR Central every Thursday so this is out every Tuesday on the feature show but from myself Stephen Wilson I'd like to thank my panel first of all David Campbell stay freaky ladies and gentlemen (laughs) (laughs) Sarah Grieve thank you very much Uh, the champ is finished and Alan McLucas thank you very much cheers mate it's been a pleasure yep 
We will see you next week. Stop whatever you are doing right now. You've only got one choice. This is Billy Kirkwood. You know what you should be doing? You should be going online. You should be subscribing. You should be listening to the back catalogue of Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Get on it! Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.